Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Paul's greeting to the church there at Galatia. And um, I extend that to us as well here this morning. This morning as I think of us and our life before God, and I uh, find that we're in a, in a great battle. Now, it's not a battle, of course, with missiles, bombs, and bullets, and nuclear weapons, and all that, but it's a battle for our soul. And uh, I think we do well that we uh, keep that in mind on a daily basis. There's a great battle going on between the, the enemy of God and, and our soul. And so this morning, uh, I've titled the message, Overcoming the World. Now, I think we're, either we are overcoming the world or the world is overcoming us. I don't think there's anything in between. We're one way or the other. And... uh, I believe that uh, as we're conscious of that and we realize that uh, there's a battle going on for my soul and for your soul, um, it stirs us up and it uh, brings an awareness that uh, we don't just sit down and relax and we, we think that we're just going to, we're just going to glide into glory. This doesn't work that way. And uh, this morning as I look at you as a congregation and everyone here, I like to think of I'm looking at a group of overcomers. Overcomers by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful term. But it's often not quite that simple. We, we struggle. We have things we deal with. And it seems like times that there's things that seem they want to overcome us. But anyways, I'd like to use as a springboard text this morning, uh, Luke chapter 4, looking at verse 18 and 19. The setting here is when our Lord and Savior was here and he walked among, walked among us walked among men. And uh, the setting here in Luke chapter 4 is where he comes back to Nazareth or his hometown. And uh, he goes into the synagogue, it says, as his custom was. And uh, on the Sabbath, where else would you find the Lord? And so they handed him the book of Isaiah or Isaiah says... It's called here, and he opened the book to this scripture that's found in Isaiah 61. And this is the scripture, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, he goes on and he says that this day is that scripture fulfilled. And so it is for us this morning too in the 21st century. These words that uh, the prophet had given years before and then that the Lord Uh, reinstated uh, here in this uh, setting. It's applicable for us today. In fact, it's it's our hope. It's 
it's uh, it's the hope that we have gives us peace and gives us what we need for this battle. There's a couple thing, couple points I want to notice here before we move on. Like to note two statements that he makes in this in this uh, verse, verse 18, and that's not to minimize the rest of it, but it says to preach deliverance to the captives. There's a song that goes something like this. Once I was bound by sin's galling fetters. Um, and so, we, uh, that's us. That's our life. That's the story of our life. We, uh, we were captive, taken captive by sin. We all were or still are. One or the other. I don't think there's any middle ground. There's a um, other song that I uh, that we sing at times is the song "I Was in Sin's Prison, Oh So Dark and Cold, Just a Lost Sheep Wandering from God's Eternal Fold." Then the door swung open and Jesus spoke to me. I have signed your pardon. Now you may go free. There is a sense spiritual sense that we were incarcerated by sin and in sin's prison. And so the mission of our Lord was to come and open those doors for us where we can go free. We can overcome that. The other statement here is uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Sin has bruising effects on our life. We have all been bruised by sin. Some have greater scars, greater greater bruises, greater areas of, yeah, things that they were bruised and hurt about, great scars of past life. However, there's healing or sin. Romans 5.20 tells us for where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so we don't look at the extent of what your bruises are and what mine are, even though they vary and they, they uh, differentiate from, each, from, uh, from one person to the other probably. But the Lord's mission was to heal those. And um, to uh, to give us hope, to help us to overcome. I don't think any of us has any desire. Certainly, I don't. In my part, if you've been delivered from sin's prison, you have no desire to go back there and be incarcerated again. But it took something special to open those prison doors overcome those prison doors. It's like for us to remember that as we go through the message here. I have three subtitles for the message this morning. And um, number one is identifying the world. Remember, the message is overcoming the world. Identifying the world the second one is the key to overcome the world. And the third one is the rewards of overcoming the world. just want to look at the message in that order. Identifying the world. And I trust this morning that we have a clear vision of what the world is. That's one of the tragedies of today. In Christianity, the, the lines are often kind of blurred. They're not, there's areas that we refer to sometimes as gray areas. I don't think that's something we should be referring to, but it's called sometimes gray areas. Not quite sure of what is world and 
where this falls in line and so forth. The other thing in that is that we become used to our environment and our surroundings and we kind of become uh, immune. That's not, that's not a fitting word. Is immune to sin or immune to the world. We become our surroundings. They don't, they don't look as dangerous anymore. Things don't look as dangerous anymore. We, we have to do with them all the time and we, we uh, you know, they surround us and after a while it, it doesn't look that bad. I suppose Lot faced that when he moved his family closer and closer to Sodom. I think we can learn a lesson from that. This morning the world is just as dangerous it's just as subtle, it's just as evil as it has ever been, and maybe more so, I'm not sure. And uh, we dare not, we must not, and we dare not forget that or become used to that. If we do, then we're certainly, probably, on the way out. We're not... How are we going to overcome something that we can't really see the, the danger of it? We can't really see the, the evil. Can't really see what's surrounding us. Identifying the world. We have the scripture there here in First uh, John 2, chapter 2. I think it's a scripture that all of God's children should surely be very familiar with. First John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. There it is. It's a very condensed verse. Um, and we're probably just human enough. We need to be told sometimes, like the uh, Pharisee wanted to know, well, who his neighbor is. We need just simply be told and spelled out what world is. And I'm not planning this morning the message. It's not time for that to spell those things out. I think if the Spirit of God is at work in our life, which I trust He is, we understand, we know what He's talking about. Mentions the lust of the flesh. It's talking about physical desires. We have physical desires that want to overtake us, and want to dominate us, and want to control our life, want to have their way. Sadly, sadly, too often, even in God's people, they get their way, at least partially. It's where the repentance part comes in and as First John chapter 1 tells us, if any man sin, we have an advocate. If we confess our sins, he's just faithful and just to forgive us. And we just simply need to do that. It's one of the ways to overcome the lust of the eye, personal desires. We, we have bouncing eyes, as someone said. We bounce all around. And... Um, Personal desires. Those things are not from the kingdom of God. The pride of life. Basically, when you think of the pride of life, as I think of that, it boils down to self. Self and what we think of ourselves and what we want for ourselves. Self-interest. We could say self-interest. Those are the categories. Those things are not of the Father. But they're of the world. And I think that pretty much, those three categories, they pretty much encompass the whole world and its system. Now, as we think of identifying the world and relating to that and overcoming the world, we Man, we are born with a worldly, sinful nature. We just, we get that with our physical birth. It's what we are. It's how we're made up. We're just made up. We, 
We have a sinful nature by physical birth. We are born with a worldward pull. We want what the flesh wants its way. The eyes want their personal desires and self-interests. It's just who we are. We must recognize that. We must recognize us for what we are, who we are. If we don't recognize that, then how can we be helped? How can we be found? How can we be helped? Say still, how can you, someone that's lost, a lost sinner must first realize that he's lost. He or she is lost. How can you find someone if they don't know that they're lost? And so it is with our nature, our sinful nature. It's what we are by reason of our physical birth. We're born with that. We naturally gravitate to that which is worldly. We just do by nature. It's our inclination. We just gravitate toward things that are worldly. That worldward pull. After the uh, transgression in the garden happened there in Genesis, and as we go on to, I think it's chapter 6 in Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Does that describe us? Describes who we are, doesn't it? After the fall and the transgression. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible tells us. It's who we are. We're worldly by birth. We are worldly. We just... And we have that worldward pull on us. It, it's, it, we just tend to gravitate to that. The nature that we're born with. And it's spelled out in Galatians 5. Galatians 5 spells out our nature very well. It tells us what we are. What we're made up I didn't mention there in Genesis chapter 6 after that verse that I quoted. I think it's very sad. It says, and God, God repented that he had made man. And that's sad that God looked down on his creation that he created to serve him, to worship him. And it made a beautiful setting for him. And he was sorry that he had made, he repented God that he had made man. And he was grieved. It say he was grieved at his heart. You know, that same statement can be applied to either one of us, any of us here, if we take our own way, if we don't get to the point where we recognize what world is and that our life, we're bound, we have that worldward pull on us. And we just gravitate toward that and we continue on in that course. Imagine God looking down on our lives and saying, I, I'm sorry I made he or she. I'm sorry you did that. Certainly none of us wants that. But I think we need to be aware and we must be aware. And we must deal with those things. Okay, so here in Galatians chapter 5, think of what we are by nature. The works of the flesh are manifest. They're displayed. They're seen. Does that sound something like, do we see those things? Do we feel those things? Do we, we see it all around us, don't we? And this is what it says, that the works of the flesh, or we could say the things of the world, they're manifest. They're seen. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And listen to what he says. Of the which, what the end result is. Of the which I tell you before, as, as I have also told you in time past, 
that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. It's not a gray area. And such like, he says, we must change kingdoms. We must belong to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that enmity with Satan and his kingdom. As Christians, we have to deal with these things on a daily basis. When we, when we step out each day in life, we look the world in, in its eyes. We really do, in a sense. We look the world in its eyes. And there's a constant battle. The world beckons. The world is calling. The world is beckoning, especially as I think of younger people. And all of us as well. But there's not without reason that Paul writes, flee youthful lusts. Flee worldly lusts. The world is beckoning. It's out to get us. You know, it's, it's out to... Once, and we realize that. I think we should, could say, become very upset. But we remember... We, the battle is the Lord's and it's not ours. The world is calling, offering us anything that the flesh and the eyes, the pride of life desires. It's there. It's there for the taking. You can have it. And I'm persuaded this morning that either we're overcoming the world or the world is overcoming us. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. Either you're on God's side or you're on the world's side. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 30, Paul said, And why stand, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? the same chapter there where he says I die daily and I don't mean to take this out of context but we do stand in jeopardy every hour we do we just do and it calls for a daily dying ich sterbe tagli they used to say in German I die daily Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily, it's a daily strife. It's a daily we seek to overcome. Bless the world in its folly, in its subtleness, in its friendliness. In all that it has to offer, overcomes us. It's going to be one or the other. Remember that. Can't be in between here. It's going to be one or the other. Okay. Moving on to the key to overcome. Well, first, I want to make it very clear that to overcome the world is attainable. It's a Something we can achieve. See, like I, you've heard me say before, the Bible does not call us to something that is not attainable, that can't be achieved. And I'm not here to paint the picture that as we, as we uh, do battle, as we seek to overcome the world, that it's just, you know, we're just always just barely getting by. There are times that Satan attacks us more than others. It's been my experience. It was that way with the Lord. When he tempted him there after his 40-day fasting, and he tempted him with, tried to tempt him with food, and then to take advantage of the protection of God by casting himself down. And... Uh, 
But then it says, and in that account it says, and then Satan left him for a season. I'm not sure that he leaves us for a season. It doesn't hardly feel like that in my experience. But I will say that there are times that the battle, and the struggle to overcome is much more intense. It just is. Because, you know, I, I mentioned the, the works of the flesh. And that was just kind of a summary there that Galatian gives us. But, you know, you, you put, put in things like attitudes, uh, grudges, uh, unforgiveness. And there, there's, we may, we may tend to look at those things as kind of as lesser sins. I don't know. But they're not. They're of the world. If we sit here and we struggle with feelings toward each other and unforgiveness and we have grudges and so forth, that's of the world. It's the world. And that's, you know, the list could just be, yeah, would over, overwhelm us. It is attainable, as I mentioned. Whatever we give ourselves to, that's what we become. That's what we are. Whether it's life unto life or death unto death. It's just, it's just that simple. What we give ourselves to. That's what we will become. Second Peter 2.19 says, For whom a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage. Do you allow things to overcome you, whether it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life? You allow those things, you cultivate those things. That's your thought life. That's what you're going to have. The result of that is it's going to overcome you. You're going to be overcome by those things. It's just like Peter says. For what a man, whom a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage. It will bring you into bondage. Those sins. The sins of the world. Romans 6.16 Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves to obey his servants you are. You become a servant and you become a slave and you end up in prison again. That same thing. That text that I used in the beginning when the Lord said that he came for this purpose to open the doors of the of those that are in captivity and to heal those that are bruised. And there's a number of other things there too. But I think of those things especially in my experience that, you know, those bruises being bruised by sin and those scars of past life and so forth. How wonderful it is that the Lord is here this morning and he wants to heal that. And if you're bound by any sinful habit or slave to any sinful habit, if you've given yourself to that, the Lord today, it's the acceptable year of the Lord, the time of the Lord is he wants to deliver you out of that prison. Deliverance doesn't just happen automatically. You understand that? We, we don't just automatically be delivered. or We don't just automatically overcome the world. It's not overcoming the world is not a case where, you know, someday you all of a sudden you wake up and you've overcome and you wonder, well, how did that happen? Hmm, how did that happen? That's not how it works. Overcoming the world calls for choices calls for a choice, many choices perhaps. Choosing the right thing, choosing the things of God rather than the things of the flesh, rather than allowing that which you tend to just gravitate toward, you're inclined to follow. You must make choices. Make choices for God. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man or a woman or a maid cleanse their way. How does it happen? Does it just happen automatically? No. It says by giving heed to thy word, to, his, to the word of God. It doesn't just happen. We don't just automatically overcome. Overcoming involves a conscious choice. Many choices. You don't just wake up someday and ask, well, how did that happen? It's a lot like life. You know, I don't just wake up here this morning 
one, well, I wonder how it happened that I'm here at Jade Mountain. I could say that. But every one of us, we have a story behind us, don't we? There's a story behind our life. It didn't just happen. We made choices. That's how we ended up here at Shade Mountain. Whether they're good or bad, that's the fact. And so that it is. As we overcome, if you want to overcome the world, it calls for a conscious choice. It calls for a conscious choice. Casting your lot with the people of God. Again, the same goes for wrong choices. Wrong endings. They don't just happen. Find yourself enslaved in sin and the passions of the flesh and so forth. They don't just happen. It's not just, you don't just wake up and say, well, I wonder how I got here. If you're honest, you can, you're honest with yourself. You'll know. If you want the truth, you'll know that it was because of thus and thus and thus. Whether it's the lusts of the flesh, uh, indulging in pornography, moral, moral sins and those kind of things, they don't just happen. Same way, the good and the bad, it don't just happen. Looking at the epistle of John. So we think of keys to overcome. First John in chapter two again. This is what John writes. He said, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. See there? He's overcome. Making right choices, choosing the things of God, doing whatever needs to be done to overcome. Doesn't just happen. And then in chapter 4, we have 1 John chapter 4. We have John warning here about warning against falsehood. Speaks about the spirits, all the spirits and the, the many false prophets that are gone out into the world and how we can know them. But the key to overcome in verse four, he says, ye are of God, little children, and have, and have overcome come them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan's kingdom, I would say, is a powerful kingdom, the kingdom of the world. But God's kingdom is all powerful. And I again state that God, the word of God does not call us to something, to some condition in life that is unattainable. We can overcome. In... uh, Faith. Faith is the victory that overcometh the world. Can't lay my... Yeah, in in, uh, chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth, Jesus is the Son of God. Let me say that that believing includes actions. It includes making right choices. It includes turning away from evil. It includes choosing the things of God. It includes taking heed to the word of God. Keeping the commandments as the Lord said. Revelations 12.9 We're still thinking of the key to overcome. Chapter 12 is that chapter where he 
It's referred to at times as the birth of Christ and uh, parallels things that happened during the birth of Christ. But there is uh, in verse verse nine of this of chapter twelve of Revelations. Now that's quite an account that that account, and I love to read it because there's a real message in that. But verse eleven, as we're thinking of the keys to overcome, read that, and we're not going to take time to read that chapter. But there's some some awful things were taking place here. But verse eleven says, well, verse ten, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, "Now he's come, salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God." Not the kingdom of the world. The overcoming kingdom and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Notice verse 11 especially. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death. This chapter here in verse verse 9 of this same chapter is where it says, the great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan, which would deceive the whole world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then it goes on with the verses that I just read. But the beauty of that is, and the, the can't find words to express it enough, that there is overcoming power. How? It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they loved not their lives unto death. There's three things that are mentioned in that verse. The blood of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for our sins. The power to overcome is not of man, but that which comes from God. We don't have, I don't have the power to overcome with all the effort, all the sheer determination, effort that I can put forth. I don't have the power to overcome. I know it because I tried that when I first started searching and seeking for God. I tried to overcome, tried to overcome the sinful things and uh, the things I was in bondage in. And you could only do it for so long and you'd fall back into the same things. Power to overcome is not of man, but it's that which comes from God. The blood of the Lamb. First Peter 1.18 says, We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. There's not enough money printed. There's never been enough money printed to redeem one soul. Can you imagine? I don't know how much money has been printed since the time of the treasure, but it's not enough that to redeem one soul. Peter says we're not... Redeemed with silver and gold. Gold's worth a good bit right now. But by the with the precious blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony. As we testify the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he will do for the whole world, it's a powerful testimony. It's a strengthening to our own faith. I think we see that in Paul's life. Time and again. When Paul spoke about wanting to go to Rome. There in the first chapter. Paul was determined to see Rome at some time. And he said as much as as is in me. I'm ready to preach the gospel there. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's a tremendous key to overcoming the world. Not being ashamed. Steve talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Where we're at. If we draw back from sharing our testimony or testifying for the Lord, it's to our own spiritual hurt. There's tremendous strengthening. And and as we share our experience and we unashamedly we share what God has done for us. It's the testimony. It says, by the word of their testimony. And it says, they loved not their lives unto death. 
every one of us needs to ask ourselves and check ourselves. Are you willing? Would you be willing today lay down your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to do that? Well, we we probably say, well, yeah, I think we would. But really, you realize in the 21st century here in the West, here in America, we really don't know much about martyrdom. About the only thing we know about is what we read. Now, we read here in other countries. There's people, I don't know how, probably a lot of it is hid. We don't even find out. But I, I do think there's maybe hundreds, maybe thousands in some of the other countries. People have laid down their lives. But we really don't know much about martyrdom. We just don't here. As in our life, as we've been, I don't. Is there anyone here that has ever seen a Christian lay down his life, witnessed them burning at stake, or anything? The point is, is those things were a tremendous strengthening to the church. The blood of the martyrs, as has been said, is the seed and the strength of the church and the power to overcome. Many people, as they witness those, read the martyrs' mirror, as they witness people laying down their lives for the kingdom of God. In turn, it led to their conversion, led to their salvation. And they were willing to do the same thing. Overcoming, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto death. I believe that the power to overcome can only be fully realized as we allow, we need to remember, should restate that the power to overcome can only be fully realized as we allow God to change us inwardly. Inwardly, we need that inward change. Andrew Murray writes, and I quote, Every kind of virtue may be brought into us by two different ways. They may be taught us outwardly by men, by rules and precepts, and they may be inwardly born in us as the genuine birth of our own renewed spirit. The former at best change our outward behavior, putting our passions under a false restraint. But all this outward instruction, whether from good men or the scriptures, makes nothing perfect. Understand that? There's two ways. If you learn virtue and goodness only from men or books, you will be virtuous according to time and place and outward forms. But the inward virtues, the new man, are only to be obtained, are only to be obtained by the operation of the Holy Spirit, not outwardly teaching, but inwardly bringing forth a newborn spirit within us. That's a must overcome the world. As he said, there's... You know, it can be by two different ways. It can be taught by good men. But what it does, if there's no inward change in experience, all it does, it puts our passions under a false restraint. And at some point, it's not going to work. We need that inward change. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That example that he, that he spoke of there was not just referring to him, but he was giving that as an example that it is attainable, that it's achievable, that we can overcome the world. All right, just quickly thinking of the last one, the rewards of overcoming. And I'm just going to turn to Revelations and use some verses there. So we think of the rewards and the promises that the Bible gives the overcomers. It's really wonderful. This is to the side. If you look at the seven churches in the first couple of chapters of Revelations, several things there that every one of the churches is mentioned to them. One is, uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All the seven churches. It's like saying you have your ears on this morning. You have them on. You're hearing what they're saying. He that has an ear, let him hear. But also, what I want us to notice there 
just in the last part here, is the emphasis. What he, the expression, the statement he makes in regards to overcoming. Every one of these churches, he also gives them a promise in regards to overcoming. We'll look at these. The first church here that we have is the church of, church of Ephesus. But in verse 7, as he closes out his counsel to him, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now get this. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of the paradise of God. Isn't that wonderful? To him that overcometh. So that means it is attainable. You can reach that. And then the next one here is the... uh, the church in Smyrna. And likewise, he closes out his counsel to them. In verse 11, it says, He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. I'm not sure what all that includes. I have my, my uh, personal version of that. And then the third one, to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Verse 17. He closes the exhortation to the church there. It says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. These scriptures in regards to overcoming here, it just, yeah, it makes, makes your spine tingle, I think, or mine does, as I think of, of the promises and the, and the blessings that are for those that overcome. Next one is the church in Thyatira. In verse 26, it says, verse 25, you should read that, but, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. I think it's saying power to overcome. It's going to be power to overcome. And then the fifth one here is the church in Sardis. Verse 5, he closes out the council of the church there in Sardis. It says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name. But I will confess his name before my father and before his, his angels. And then we have the church at Philadelphia. This is what he, this is what he gives them in regards to overcoming. Verse twelve. I mean, chapter three. It says, "Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God. And I will write upon him my new name, promise after promise to the overcomers. Something that you and I can embrace." And we can put our arms around that. The last one is the church at Laodicea. Think of Laodicea. Think of, if you're like me, you think of all the needs there and where they were at. But there are those that say we're in the Laodicea church age. And I can't really dispute that. But this is what he says. There's even a promise to them, to the overcomers there in Laodicea in verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome. Remember the words of the Lord that said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Here he reminds us, he says, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. You want to sit down with the Lord in his throne? I would like to, but I... It's hard, it's hard to imagine that someday. But that's what the scripture says. Embrace it. Put your arms around that. That's a promise that you can have. If, you, you're, if you're of the overcomers, you'll be granted to sit with the Lord, it says, in his throne. And with my father. So the seven churches, all of them there. There was a promise to the overcomers. This morning at Shade Mountain and wherever the church is, there's a promise to the overcomers. I want you to hold on to that. 
don't let go of that. There's a promise to overcomers. It's going to take something on our part, on my part, on your part. It doesn't just happen. The last scripture in closing is in Revelations 21, verse 7. 21, verse 7. Notice what it says to the overcomers. This is the chapter where it speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. But then in verse 7, he injects this scripture about overcoming. Notice what it says. And if you want to experience what he's talking about there in Revelations 21, you must be an overcomer. We must be overcomers. We must overcome the world. This is what it says. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. All things. All things. The richest man in the world with his inheritance has limits. He can only give so much, pass so much inheritance on. And people put great value on that. Here is a scripture that far surpasses any such thing, any natural any inheritance, be it money, farms, houses, lands, whatever. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. That's not all. It says, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. What more could any of us, could a child of God want? What more is there to be had if you inherit all things? I mean, that's, that's the ultimate. There's, not, there's nothing more than that, is there? All things plus sonship. Just want you to ask. Just think about this. A greater reward is not to be found. Never, ever will be. Never was, never will be. A greater promise than what we just read here in Revelations chapter 21, verse 7. Let's kneel for prayer.